Okay, so we are continuing this study on spirit of the Antichrist. And man, I'm so excited about this. I've been just really pouring a lot of time into it and looking forward to what is coming down the pike. And so um, one of the both advantages and disadvantages of doing a series like this during a, a regular Bible study a time as we have limited time each week, which is a little bit of a negative because if I was at a conference, I would usually have an hour and a half. But the great thing is we've got no time limit. We can spend several weeks on this. And so I've been really putting a lot of uh, time into preparing Scripture and different relevant passages as we kind of work our way through this material. The, the big picture, of course, is that uh, the spirit of the Antichrist is among us. He has been since he got kicked out of heaven, uh, really, because the spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit of the devil, deception. And uh, John tells us that we've heard the Antichrist is coming. We know this from the Old and New Testament alike. He's variously referred to as the man of sin, the son of perdition, the beast. Uh, we talked about that several weeks ago. Uh, but he says what we, you, what we need to understand is that he's already in the world in that sense, um, the spirit of the Antichrist, that is. Again, elsewhere, he says, many Antichrists have come. And then Paul put it this way, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And so the purpose of this study is to ask ourselves, what are some manifestations that we see around us that could be setting the stage for the, the, the Antichrist's reign of terror as the, the great deceiver working according to the power of of Satan. And so we are currently still in the first one of these, which is the spirit of pretense. And we said pretense means simply to deceive. And so uh, the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be according to all lying wonders. So deception or pretense is going to be a, a, a real key characteristic of his reign for that seven year period following the rapture. So we're asking the question. What are some uh, characteristics that we see today of this unrighteous deception, as Paul called it, that will come upon the earth? Or in the book of Revelation, we read that he's going to deceive those who dwell on the earth. Now again, if you're just uh, joining us in this study, I encourage you to go back and watch the, the videos in this series because we established some fundamental timeline issues and some broader topics related to the end times. But we believe the Bible teaches that the rapture is the next great prophetic event to which the world looks forward. And the rapture is going to be when uh, God rescues the church, the bride of Christ, from this present evil age prior to the outpouring of God's wrath and the great day of the Lord's wrath called the tribulation or the 70th week of Daniel. And that's going to happen after the rapture in the seven years preceding the, co the second coming of Christ to establish the kingdom. So it's that seven-year period uh, that we're talking about. But we're talking about it in the context of the fact that we now live in this present evil age, as the Bible calls it, where Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's called the prince or ruler of demons. He's the god of this age. And so we need to be prepared because we talked about last week how things are getting worse and worse. Deception is getting worse and worse. It's easier to be deceived and it's also easier to deceive. So before we look at some manifestations, and we'll begin this today, but we'll be doing this for the next couple of weeks, of deception in our present age, we have one more piece of the, the puzzle theologically to talk about in terms of the Antichrist. And thankfully that's the demise of the Antichrist. There's going to come a time 
when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, when the Antichrist is defeated. So we could look at Revelation chapter 19, where we read the beast. Remember, the beast is John's term for the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And those two, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now this is the first reference to the lake of fire. Unbelievers who have died throughout human history are not yet in the lake of fire. They're in torment, clearly, but they're not in the lake of fire. At the end of the millennium, Christ will cast, we read about this in Revelation 20, <clears throat> excuse me, all unbelievers into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet will have been for 1,000 years. In fact, the text tells us that in Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. So a couple of important points about that. Remember, the beast is human. He's a human antichrist in whom Satan dwells for this seven-year period. The false prophet <clears throat> is also a human being. False prophet is the second in command or the sidekick, if you will, of, uh, thank you, of uh, the Antichrist. And so they're humans. And the Bible tells us that they're cast into the lake of fire when Christ returns at the second coming. But then a thousand years later at the end of the age when time shall be no more and Christ ushers in the new heavens and the new earth because the old heavens and old earth, all creation is destroyed. At that time, a thousand years later, all unbelievers who refused to believe the gospel, did not receive the free gift of salvation paid for by the blood of Christ, will be cast into the lake of fire too. And notice it says where the beast and the false prophet are. That's important because some people today, in contradiction to the Bible, try to suggest there is no hell, there is no eternal torment as a penalty for sin, and that when you die you just cease to exist. But we know from Scripture that cannot be the case. We know it from a variety of passages, but this is one that clearly states that a thousand years after they were cast in the lake of the fire, the beast and the false prophet were still there. Uh, So going to Revelation chapter 20, uh, first of all, we know Satan will be imprisoned for a thousand years. So the the beast and the false prophet are cast in the lake of fire. Their time is done. They ruled for a a seven-year period, and now they're done. Christ came back at the Battle of Armageddon and defeated them, and now he's ushering in the thousand-year millennial phase of the kingdom. And at that time, we find that he, Christ, laid hold of the dragon, that's the, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he cast him into the bottomless pit so that he could deceive the nations no more. So Satan, the one who empowers the Antichrist, and the one who is empowering the spirit of the Antichrist today in this present age, for a thousand years will be imprisoned, bound up. Why? So that he should deceive the nations. Nations there just means everybody. No more. Now you and I as believers, if you know the Lord Jesus, having trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone as the only one who can forgive sin and give eternal life, we will be reigning and ruling with Christ in the kingdom during this thousand year period. We will already have our glorified bodies, which we receive at the rapture. But there will be people alive on the earth who survived the tribulation in their physical bodies, those who were left behind at the rapture, got saved during the tribulation because of the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. 
lived throughout the seven-year period. Remember, Jesus said, He who endures to the end will be delivered into the kingdom. Um, that's not a reference to eternal salvation. A lot of times people say, Oh, if you, you have to persevere to the end or you don't go to heaven. That's not at all what Jesus was saying. He's just saying that seven-year period, there's going to be a lot of martyrdom. In fact, Revelation tells us the martyrs are going to be so many you can't hardly count them. It's people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language that come to faith in Christ during the tribulation and then are martyred in this reign of terror under the Antichrist. But those who survive, that live, they will be the ones who welcome Christ back when He comes back to earth to establish His reign. And so they will enter into the kingdom. Remember Matthew 24, Jesus, or 25 rather, Jesus says, When I come back, I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats. What's he going to say to the sheep? Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. So for the first time in fulfillment of all of prophecy, the kingdom will come. The King of kings, the Prince of peace will sit on the throne. And he's going to rule in perfect peace and righteousness. And his kingdom initially will include believers from the church age who are already glorified and we're reigning with him. Remember Jesus told the disciples that they would reign on 12 thrones with him when he comes back, and we too will be in positions of leadership and service. So the glorified saints, and also the resurrected glorified saints of the Old Testament, not church age believers, but Old Testament saints will be resurrected at the second coming, according to uh, Isaiah, uh, or Isaiah 26 and Daniel 12. And so there'll be glorified believers, but there will also be believers who got saved during the tribulation, live to tell about it, and are physically in their mortal bodies at the start of the kingdom, and then they will procreate and have children, and eventually after a thousand years, the earth will then be made up once again of believers and unbelievers, because everyone born uh, is always born in sin and needs to be saved. Uh, you don't automatically get saved if you're born a, a new child in the millennial kingdom. You have to be born again by faith. And so uh, during this thousand-year period, what's interesting is the Satan will not be able to deceive people. He's going to be bound up. And yet, the heart of man is desperately wicked. And yet, in spite of these idyllic conditions where there's perfect justice, there's no more accidental death or unfairness or tragedy, Christ is ruling on the throne. Nevertheless, some people will still reject the free gift of eternal life. It's hard to imagine. But again, it just shows how desperately wicked the heart of man is. And so then the passage we alluded to a moment ago, at the end of the millennial portion of the kingdom, the 1,000-year time, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Notice again where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So this spirit of the Antichrist that, that we're talking about will be with us until Christ comes back. It'll be with us in spirit form, so to speak, uh, in the present church age, and then eventually it will be present through the reign of the Antichrist in person during a seven-year period. Uh, but it does have an end, and the demise of the Antichrist will come uh, when Christ comes back and makes all things new. So <clears throat> deception is Satan's modus operandi. And it is the Antichrist's modus operandi. And this Luciferian deception has been ongoing and gaining steam throughout the centuries. The spirit of pretense is already at work. Do we see it 
at work among us? Well, yeah, let me begin to go down this road as we take a look at the human element of this Luciferian conspiracy and begin to connect some dots. Now, time won't allow me, even if we spent months on this, to go through all of the facts and data that are out there um, proving this point, but I think you will begin to see that Satan has been alive and well deceiving people as we go through this first manifestation of the spirit of the Antichrist pretense. So the first thing we need to understand is history as we know it is not the truth. We have been deceived, particularly in the last 150 years or so. Um, you know, if you think of human history, you can think of the ancient times, you know, the pre-modern times and the modern era with the age of, you know, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution and so forth, technological revolution. And now we're in the post-modern times. But really, the last, in our lifetime for sure, information and technology have just exponentially gotten greater and more powerful. And so... That being the case, there are more tools available for the great deceiver to try to deceive the world. And so uh, the deception was still going on even during the Dark Ages and even before that. Certainly it was going on back in the ancient times with pagan religions and the, you know, the Greek gods and the Roman gods before them and before them the Egyptian gods and so forth and all of the ancient Near Eastern pagan religions. But in terms of our context, the modern era now the postmodern era, and the West, the, in the United States of America, we see some amazing things. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer, regarded as one of the greatest authors of all time, received a number of Nobel Prize for Literature nominations. He said, history would be a wonderful thing if only it were true. And you wonder what he knew. A lot of the elites throughout human history have alluded to the fact that history is not what we think it is. Napoleon Bonaparte uh, said, What is history but a fable agreed upon? And I love this. Uh, Winston Churchill uh, said, History will be kind to me. Why? For I intend to write it. And in the last 150 years, those uh, who control the media, the textbook industry, especially since compulsory government schooling was put in place in 1918, Remember, America was founded in 1776. We didn't have compulsory government schooling until after World War I when Satan ratcheted up his Luciferian agenda and he needed a means of capturing the minds of the New World, the United States, which was by that time becoming really the seat of power in the world at large and remains that uh, to this day. Uh, Mark Twain put it this way, the very ink with which history is written is merely fluid prejudice. Or famously, Eric Arthur Blair, also known as George Orwell by his pen name, said, who controls the, the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. So one of my favorite uh, commentators and uh, TV and, and radio personalities is a guy named George Knapp. Don't know whether he's a believer or not, but he's got some profound insights on the world as it really exists. And he commented, I wrote this down when I was listening to him one time, nothing ever changes except the past. And indeed it does. And those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. 
So we've got this conspiracy that we've already uh, talked about uh, that involves this spirit of pretense. And it involves human agents. Uh, Satan is, you know, we know that he's got a legion of demons. Remember, one-third of the angels fell with Satan. They became demons. Uh, they, are, they are territorial. They are different ranks of them. We talked about that. You can go back and look at uh, that in the previous uh, videos. Uh, but those demons are doing his bidding as they go and influence who? Human beings, the decision makers, the people who rule the world as we know it. But we need to understand that those who rule the world are not necessarily the ones with flesh and blood that we can see and identify and give them a label or a title. There is a very real spiritual reality and spiritual warfare, which Paul talks about plainly in Ephesians 6. We looked at that passage. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. So it's these human agents that we're talking about. Again, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Paul told us that the Spirit expressly says, notice the Spirit, capital S, expressly says that in latter times we, some will depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. See, I believe that it was demonic persuasion and demonic influence that led even the first century Jewish Christians that we're talking about in our worship hour to depart from the faith. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about apostasy and what that means. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, talks about it later on in, in his letter. But you can, as a believer in Jesus Christ, many people have and do, and we see examples in Scripture, deny the faith for various reasons. doesn't mean they go to hell. Because our eternal destiny is not conditioned upon our being able to hang on to our faith. Jesus didn't say, if you believe the gospel and keep on believing it until you die, then you get to heaven. He said, you get eternal life the moment you believe. At that precise, punctiliar moment in time, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You pass from death to life, Jesus said. You shall never, pass, shall never face judgment. If, in fact, we had to hang on to the faith and keep on believing all the way up till we breathe our last breath or else we'll go to hell, then Jesus would have said, if you believe in me, you have the potential for eternal life or the possibility of eternal life or the prospect of eternal life. But he didn't say that. He said, when you believe in me, you have eternal life. If it's not eternal and if it can be lost, it was never eternal uh, to begin with. So John the Baptist is a great example. No, none other than the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, died in a lonely prison cell questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God. But he's in heaven today. Paul tells us that even if we are faithless, literally opistus, no faith, God remains faithful. You know why? Because he says he cannot deny himself. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. See, once you become born again, you're a child of God. And obviously there are great consequences, and it's a serious thing, as the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about, to deny the faith. But, but who among us, if someone put a gun to our head and said, deny the faith or I'm going to kill you on the spot, might not in that moment of weak faith deny the faith. Or maybe you say, well, I'm strong enough, I would never do that. Maybe you'd be like that Christian student at Columbine years ago who allegedly, the story goes, they put a gun to her head and 
she said, Jesus is my Lord, and they killed her. Maybe we'd be like that. But what if they put a gun to our head and said, deny the faith or I'm going to kill your wife or I'm going to kill your child? See, I hope we wouldn't do that. But our eternal destiny is not contingent upon us hanging on to God. No one can pluck us out of His hand. The moment we trust Christ, we are born again. And yet, Paul warns that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons. In his last letter, he said, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. So let's take a look at some of these agents of Satan who have been advancing this Luciferian agenda for centuries. Um, I like to start with this quote because it is so kind of, it'll really rattle your cage. But you may know the name Saul Alinsky. Uh, he died in 1972. Uh, but he dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals, to Lucifer. Listen to what he said. Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, from all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which, let's not forget the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he won his own kingdom, Lucifer. Lucifer. This is the same Saul Alinsky who told Playboy magazine in 1972 that was about 18 years before Donald Trump appeared on the cover of Playboy magazine with his great buddy Hugh Hefner. Uh, he told Playboy magazine that he, quote, couldn't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. Well, they were his kind of people because he was a Luciferian, Saul Alinsky. And, and he believes, as do all Luciferians, that Satan, who masquerade, we know it masquerades as an angel of light, that going back to the fall, Satan was the good guy and God was the bad guy. They've completely flipped it on its end. See? They think Satan saved Adam and Eve from the tyranny of the Creator in the garden. Carol Quigley is a key name that you need to know because uh, he is the one who really, in our age, began to expose the degree to which the Luciferian agenda had crept into American politics. And uh, let me give you some background on Carol Quigley. He died in 1977, but he taught at Princeton, Harvard, and at Georgetown for most of his career. He was Bill Clinton's mentor at Georgetown. Uh, he was a political science professor. In fact, Clinton frequently mentioned him in speeches and claimed that he had the most uh, greatest influence in his life. Well, this book is written based on the archives of the Council on Foreign Relations. If you don't know much about the Council on Foreign Relations, we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But it is a key think tank of Luciferians to help advance the agenda uh, in, in the modern uh, era. Um, but uh, Quigley was kind of their historian, if you will, the one who takes notes. And as they began to set in motion at the CFR, the Council for Relation, uh, who would be president, who would be king, who would be in charge of this sector and that sector, and how they're going to get people to come along and buy into this one world government that Satan wanted, this new world order that Satan wanted. Um, they put together this plan, and he was taking the notes, and they got so far down uh, the, 
path on that agenda that they all assumed it was pretty much a done deal, or at least Carol Quigley did. And so Carol Quigley wrote this book, basically a tell-all book. And uh, it's huge. It's 1,300 pages. It weighs over 8 pounds. But I would recommend reading a couple of excellent summaries, little sort of Cliff's Notes version. One is by Cleon Skousen, The Naked Capitalist. And the other uh, is None Dare Call It Conspiracy by Gary Allen. Both of these are really all you need to know about what was exposed and unveiled in the book Tragedy and Hope. Carol Quigley said, I am now quite sure that Tragedy and Hope was suppressed. Well, what happened was when the Luciferian leaders saw that he had produced this book, they panicked. Back then... It was, it was before the Internet and before the widely available information, although, as we shall see, that's being clamped down on today. Uh, so they, they stole all the plates from the publisher, demanded they, they take it out of print, and collected and burned as many copies as they could. And for years, it was not available. And again, he, he claims it was suppressed. But it is now back in print again. It's hard to uh, suppress the truth for very long. And uh, you can get a copy of it. If you want an excellent video overview of uh, Carol Quigley and his uh, book, Tragedy and Hope, I recommend John Taylor Gatto's video series. It's, it's really, it's basically just a long interview with him, but it's amazing as he touches on this Luciferian conspiracy and many other related topics. But listen to some of the, the salient quotes from Carol Quigley. He said, I know of the operations of this network, talking about the Luciferians, because I've studied it for 20 years and was permitted for two years in the early 60s to examine its papers and its secret records. I have no aversion to it or most of its aims and have for much of my life been close to it and many of its instruments. It wishes to remain unknown, but I believe its role in history is significant enough uh, to be known. He said, its aim is nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The individual's freedom and choice will be controlled within very narrow alternatives by the fact that he will be numbered from birth. See, these things didn't just happen. There's somebody pulling the strings and followed as a number, through his educational training, his required military or other public service, his tax contributions, his health and medical requirements, and his final retirement and death benefits. See, this has all been part of the plan. And what do we see today? Every one of you holds in your pocket. I don't have my wallet. I put it up in my backpack. But every one of you holds in your wallet a national, and whether you realize it or not, now global identification card. That's what you have. Now, what do we call it? A driver's license. Next time you go to check into a hotel, uh, try this for, for, just for fun. It'll be worth a, a chuckle and a funny look. May I see your driver's license? Why do you need my driver's license? Am I planning on driving the hotel shuttle? Am I going to drive for your... Hilton Inn? Well, no, no. Well, then why do you need my driver's license? Let's call it what it is. It's an identification card. You need it to do any, you need it to fly. May I see your driver's license? Why? Am I going to be driving the plane? 
why, why do you need my driver? Because it's a national ID card. We have been numbered, and it's tied into our Social Security. It's tied now into fingerprints at the bank. He goes on, the argument, this is fascinating to me. This is one of the many reasons why we should reject the fake right-left paradigm. We're going to get into more evidence of that as we move forward, probably not today. Um, but this was all contrived. He said, the argument that the two parties should, should represent opposed ideals and policies, one on the right and the other on the left, is a foolish idea. Instead, they said, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can, quote, throw the rascals out at any election, and yet there's no profound or extensive shifts in policy. If you still think the Republicans or the Democrats are the answer, you have bought in to the great last day's deception. If all it took was to change policy, was to make sure there's a Republican in the White House, a Republican-controlled Congress, and a Republican-controlled Senate, and a majority of Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices, then why haven't we seen change? We've had that many times. We had the Gingrich Revolution. We had the Tea Party Revolution. Trump's first two years, we had it. It's not uncommon. And yet, we have not overturned Roe v. Wade. We've gotten worse. We have now gay marriage uh, approved by the Supreme Court thanks to two Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices. There is no right-left paradigm. Trust me on this. Actually, don't trust me. Check everything I say and, 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 and review it and study it for yourselves and then see who really owns Fox News, for example. See who Sean Hannity really works for. Uh, you know, see who Carl, uh, Tucker Carlson really works for. There is no right-left paradigm. We see it right here. All they want to do is give you an, a, a, an illusion that every four years, oh, I don't like these people. They're a communist or they're a socialist or they're whatever. I'm going to throw them out. And guess what? It's a one-way street. We're still headed the same direction. Nothing's changed. And that's because there is a Luciferian agenda that is pulling the strings. World leaders have all talked about it. Going back to Winston Churchill, he said from the days of Spartacus, the, the great uh, Greek gladiator, and Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati. We'll talk more about them uh, in the future. Uh, and Karl Marx, the founder of communism, and Trotsky, that, that Russian rebel who kind of rose up against Joseph Stalin. From the days of these men throughout history, this conspiracy, this world conspiracy, has been main, the mainspring of every submersive movement during the 19th century. Teddy Roosevelt said, Behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government owing no allegiance and acknowledging no responsibility to the people. Famous quote by Woodrow Wilson said, Since I entered politics, I have chiefly had men's views confided to me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of something. They're afraid of something. He said, They know, unlike the rest of us, that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete and pervasive that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. FDR, Teddy's cousin, said the real truth of the matter is, as you and I know it, that a financial element in the large centers has owned the government of the U.S. since the days of Andrew Jackson. 
He also said, in politics, nothing ever happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned. I hope you'll stay with me in the coming weeks because I'm going to give you some real-time evidence that the media is still being controlled by these Luciferians. And it'll, it'll, it'll shake you to your core. We have this illusion that somehow the local um, stations and our local, say, Denver stations and things are somehow doing their own thing. Not at all. It's all control. It's a weapon of mass deception. Speaking of weapons of mass deception, uh, here's a guy we're going to look at in a little more detail, kind of zero in on it. But Edward Bernay died in 1995. He was an Austrian-American pioneer and the father of public relations. He was named one of the most 100 influential Americans of the 20th century by Life magazine. Um, so he said, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government. So you see that term come up a lot by people that weren't even contemporaries of each other, didn't even live at the same time, yet they understood it they, because they interacted with it. And that invisible government constitutes the true ruling power of our country. He said, there are invisible rulers who control the destinies of millions. It's not generally realized to what extent the words and actions of our most influential public men are dictated by shrewd persons operating behind the scenes. Supreme Court uh, Justice Felix Frankfurter, who died in 1965, he said the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise powers from behind the scenes. The Jesuit uh, uh, priest, Pedro Arupe, said this conspiracy makes use of every possible means at its disposal, be they scientific, technical, social, or economic. It follows a perfectly mapped out strategy. It holds almost complete sway. What did the Bible tell us? The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, 1 John 5. In international organizations, financial circles, in the field of mass communication, press, cinema, radio, and television. Even in our own day, presidents have affirmed this. Clinton said, there is a government inside the government, and I don't control it. Or British Prime Minister of the last century, Benjamin Disraeli, said the world is governed by very different personages to what is imagined by those who are not themselves behind the scenes. He said the governments of the present day have to deal not merely with other governments, with emperors, kings, and ministers, but will also with secret societies, which have everywhere their unscrupulous agents and can at the last moment upset all the government's plans. And David Rockefeller, I've been talking about him for 15 years. He died at the age of 101 a couple of years ago. But in his memoirs, this is his own words, he wrote, Some people believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interest of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. Well, if that's the charge, I stand guilty and I'm proud of it. He said, we are on the verge of a global transformation. 
All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. We need some hidden enemy that no one nation can combat and defeat on their own. We need people to rise up and say, save me from the boogeyman. And that will set the stage for a ruler to come in and take over the whole world. I mean, think about it. We know what's going to happen because of what Scripture says. Have we stopped to think about how hard that will be? Remember, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's going to need help. So in this spirit of the Antichrist that is alive and well today, we see the setting of the stage, the greasing of the skids as the world is being conditioned and programmed and prepared to look to global leaders like the World Health Organization, for example. It gets worse. He says, the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to, to march towards a world government. Listen to this next statement. It ought to chill you. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite, meaning himself and his Luciferian uh, compadres, the supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in past centuries. We don't need national sovereignty. We don't need a U.S. national government. It's much more preferable to let the hands of an intellectual elite call all the shots. Henry Kissinger, also part of the Luciferian elite, said, quote, Today, America would be outraged if U.N. troops entered Los Angeles to restore order. But tomorrow, they will be grateful. And this is especially true if they were told that there were an outside threat from beyond, whether real or promulgated, that threatened our very existence. It is then that all peoples of the world will plead to deliver them from this evil. The one thing every man fears is the unknown. And when presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by the world government. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. So uh, let me diagram out for you just to, to kind of have an, a picture in your mind. And this chart is in our chart book as well. But I want you to just kind of conceptualize this as we go through the next few weeks and look at some realities of what we see happening before us. We've already established biblically uh, that conspiracies are, are, are something that are very much mentioned in Scripture. They're very common. A conspiracy is just two or more entities working together for some nefarious means. Okay. And we talked about the greatest conspiracy of all time is the conspiracy of Lucifer, demons, and men to try to overthrow God, take control of His creation, and rule the world. All right, But what does that look like in reality? So if we diagram this out, at the top of the uh, pyramid, there are roughly six or eight families, we know some of them, who are literally worshiping Satan. They communicate with him the way you and I communicate with God. You realize there is a satanic worship out there that this has been well documented. Um, and these are people who, because they believe that Satan is the good guy, they talk to him, and they pray to him, and they sacrifice to him. And they literally meet in dark, smoke-filled rooms and secret caverns across the globe and are calling the shots. Now, because Satan is not omniscient, 
or all-powerful, this Luciferian conspiracy is not monolithic, meaning it's not a simple matter of do this and it happens. See? And indeed, when Christ comes back, that's why with a word he's going to be able to cast the beast and the false prophet straight into the lake of fire. And at the end of the millennium, that's why he's going to be able to put Satan himself there to be tormented, what did we read, day and night forever and ever. See, the battle's already been won. And Suzanne asked the great question last week of, you know, why, why the delay? Why not end it all now? And uh, the best answers I can give is, first of all, we don't have the mind of God. His understanding is past our finding out. But secondly, we can speculate based on 2 Peter 3.9 that God's desire is not for anyone to perish, and He is long-suffering, waiting for that last person to place their faith in Christ. And He wants to give us as much time uh, to do that. But what you need to know is that He could, with a word, just like that, end it all. Satan cannot. Satan cannot. He's not all-powerful. So it's sometimes a sloppy, confusing agenda that Satan has been trying to propagate. People sometimes ask, well, if there really was this new world order conspiracy, why haven't they ushered it in already? Well, they've tried, and they continue to try. And we know, if you believe the Bible, that it will happen someday prior to Christ's return. But the reason they haven't ushered it in is it's not that easy. There is a restraining influence, first of all, that Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians 2, which is believers that are restraining it. And secondly, there's internal fights and schisms and contradictory uh, agendas, and they, you know, they're all power-hungry. I mean, they're Satanists, so what do you expect? And so you, know, you had the League of Nations and the United Nations, and you've had all these empires that I talked about last week in our uh, Hebrews uh, series. Um, you know, the, the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians, and all the, e the Egyptians, they've all been trying to, you know, be used of Satan to usher in global dominance, but it's not that easy. But there are, at the tip of the spear, these Luciferians. Then at the second level, you've got these types of groups in the business and finance world, things like the IMF, all of the central banks, including the Federal Reserve. I, I surely hope that everyone who's listening to this or here this morning, understands that the Federal Reserve is privately owned by six families. It is not an organization of the government of the United States. It is privately owned. And that's the reason, since the establishment of the Federal Reserve in 1913, every time you see a dollar bill or any bill, it says right on there, Federal Reserve note. It's a debt instrument. We don't print our own money in the United States. We borrow money from the central bank called the Federal Reserve. And we pay them interest. So why do you think they're so happy to keep printing money? QE2, QE3, QE4, QE infinity. Because it just makes more wealth for the elites that are running the, the Federal Reserve. And secret societies like you know, Skull and Bones and Freemasons and some of these others. Uh, there are probably hundreds of thousands at this level. Um, many of them understand who they're working for, but many of them don't. Take Freemasons, for example. Uh, there's no question, based on the writings of Manley P. Hall and Albert Pike and others, Albert Pike, Satan worshiper, by the way, the statue that our president wanted to make sure got still stood, you know, uh, just throwing that out there, Satan worshiper. Uh, they've made it very clear in their writings that the 33rd degree Freemasonry at the top is nothing but satanic. And it's, it's really sick if you 
if you take the time to study it. Does that mean that every average Freemason, you know, your great uncle, was a Satan worshiper? No. They, they didn't understand. They just joined like you might join the Boy Scouts or something, right? So we want to be, you know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I wouldn't join Freemasonry, hope, and I would discourage anybody from doing it. But not, I'm not saying that anyone who's ever been a Freemason somehow willingly and knowingly and overtly worshiped Satan. But they, you better believe they do at the top tier. And then at the bottom level, you've got all of these sort of implementation phase. So you've got politics, you've got the military, you've got religion, like the World Council of Churches and the National Council of Churches and the Vatican and you know, all kinds of pluralistic thinking today. And then you've got you know, institutions of policy and influence. Okay. And I get into this in a lot greater detail. This, this group is you know, in, in over a million, millions probably. Again, same idea. CIA, no question that at the upper echelons they were overthrowing governments and have been forever in an attempt to usher in a one world government and expand the imperialistic control of one group. Um, I touched on this in chapter 3 of Great Last Day's Deception. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone that works at the CIA serving their country as a patriot worships Satan. I think the lower down you go in the the diagram, the less likely it is that the people are aware of the true agenda that they are advancing. So we want to be gracious. And then all of this, so, but for more information about this, you can see the uh, DVD, Illuminating the New World Order. Um, but, and it's on YouTube as well. But the, to advance this, they are controlling the media. They are controlling the media. Gary Allen put it this way, We believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. Uh, and I'll close with these last couple of quotes. Back to David Rockefeller. He actually blatantly admitted it. We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings, the CFR, and respected their promise of discretion for almost 40 years, it would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of public, uh, publicity during these uh, years. Perhaps this, and this is nothing new. <clears throat> of course, we're going back 50 years now, 60 years. Uh, and we'll, next time, because we're out of time, I'm going to give you some examples of that today in our modern era under what's called Operation Mockingbird, but I'll leave you with this quote. It's perhaps, this is why Thomas Jefferson famously said, people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do. Because even back then, and it was even easier then, in some ways, some ways it's easier now because you have more technology available, but back then that's all you had. At least now, those who take the time to look at facts can study it for themselves and use critical thinking, but back then all they had was the print media. And it was controlled. And so Jefferson said, don't read the paper. Think for yourselves. Because if you read the paper, you're simply being conditioned. So I hope you're beginning to kind of see how this ties together. We'll continue to make this case um, next week. And we'll look at a very famous uh, uh, operation of the CIA called Operation Mockingbird that, as you will see, is still very much in play uh, today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that as we awaken to deception that's all around us, we would 
just also embrace the truth and use the truth as our filter and grid to expose lies. And I pray that you'd raise up men, women, and young people within the Christian faith to stand firm for truth, even as things seem to get more and more chaotic. We thank you for this study and for this time together and ask your blessings now as we dismiss. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.